Hey guys, Abel here. Welcome back to another video. And in today's video, I want to do something unique because I want to take you through a bit of a story time. So basically, I want to take you through the past 10 years of my life and my diet history in that time. So basically, everything that happened from the first day on when I ever decided that I wanted to get leaner or get healthier up until today. So there will be some crazy stories, some really comical stuff that I will tell you about, some sad stuff as well. And hopefully the whole thing all in all is going to be insightful, interesting, maybe something that you can relate to here and there. And also I think it will be just useful for you to see that the stuff that I'm talking about now and the philosophies that I share today it's really not how it started. I went through lots and lots of ridiculous stuff, interesting stuff in the meantime as well. So I guess let's just jump in. And I should also mention that if you enjoy these sorts of videos, then I could do the same thing on my training history. So that's absolutely something I can do. In, in fact, I plan to do it. I just don't want to do the two things at the same time because then it would be just a shit show because there is simply too much stuff to talk about. Let's start at the beginning, I guess. And the first thing I should tell you is that I was interested in things like getting leaner, getting a better body comp, uh, losing weight from an absurdly young age. I remember that I was 10 years old when I first created a training plan or a summer transformation plan for myself. And by the way, I really, really wish I could find that piece of paper somewhere because essentially what I did is I wrote a letter to myself in which I said, Abel, you're a fat, like out of shape, lazy piece of shit right now. But if you want to have a chance with X, Y girl in your class, then you really, really need to get in shape during the summer. So this is what you're going to do. And then I wrote down some insane training plan there. I don't really remember whether there was something about diet as well, but it was just hilarious to read nevertheless. By the way, I was not a fat kid growing up, but maybe I was more so on the chubbier side. Even though, honestly, looking at those pictures now, I would say that there was nothing wrong with me. That's a perfectly healthy, glowing, young little kid. Having that much fat on someone at that age is perfectly normal. One incredibly significant moment in actually developing that huge interest in fitness later on as well was when I went to the movies when I was 12 and saw the movie Troy. And there, when I saw the physique of Brad Pitt, I mean, that was... To say that that was an inspirational moment for me would be the understatement of the decade. I would say I felt more like a religious person who had some vision of God or something like that, like a spiritual experience. I remember leaving the movie theater with my mom and I didn't speak. I was just completely lost in my head and I was thinking that, man, I mean, this is unbelievable that this guy, this Brad Pitt guy could get into this incredible shape for this movie. And uh, I, I have to do that myself. Like I want that kind of body for myself. Which of course is really funny to think back now to that time when I thought that Brad Pitt's physique in Troy was like the ultimate male physique that someone could get. Because now if I just open up my Instagram, I will see 10 much more impressive physiques in like two seconds. But of course your standards change over time. I think I would have been around 15 or 16 years old where I started to quite regularly go to school with my own lunch prepared that I would bring in Tupperware containers and things like that. Of course, there was nothing evidence-based behind what I was doing. I had basically zero nutritional knowledge. So I was for some reason thinking that soy products and soy milk especially was this 
health elixir. So I was consuming an inordinate amount of soy milk and soy products in general. I was also thinking for some reason that mozzarella cheese is this incredible health food. So I was also bringing that to school all the time and I was eating that with grapes. I don't know why I thought that that was incredibly healthy. By the way, I pretty quickly got to the point where I didn't really need to lose weight anymore because I got into sports. I basically tried out all the sports you can think of. There is really only a handful that I have not tried. And I would say that throughout high school especially, I was in relatively decent shape. I was never a jock, so I was not that weird guy in high school who has abs. So I was never that guy, but I was in pretty decent shape. And I guess I will put up a picture here so you get some sort of an idea. My first exposure to any kind of more formalized diet or nutrition practice was a book that I read about the paleo diet. This was in 2011. This was written by a guy who is actually a pretty influential figure in, in Hungary. And that book had a really big impact on me. Just the whole thing seemed really, really logical. It just made sense that, okay, the human body is designed to be eating in a particular way throughout millions of years of evolution. And because today we are just wearing so far away from that, we are running into all kinds of health issues, of course, one of which is getting fat. Then through that book, I got to the work of Mark Sisson. This was actually during my first year of college. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Mark Sisson. He is one of the biggest figures in the international paleosphere. So I started reading his blog. I listened to a bunch of podcasts with him. Actually, that was the beginning of my podcast listener times. Of Mark Sisson, by the way, I think that he's a pretty good guy. I think his information is pretty decent. Of course, there are some stuff that we can debate and question regarding the whole paleo thing. Like, you know, is dairy really as problematic as he would say it is? Is gluten and grain products really as problematic as he would say? You know, we could and should question those things, but for the most part, he shared pretty decent information. From then on though, unfortunately, began a period which I'm really not proud of today. And I would say that most of my crazy and kind of ridiculous stories about fitness are really from this period because I started following some figures in the fitness space that I really shouldn't have. So from Mark Sisson, I got to Dave Asprey. I don't know how many of you know who Dave Asprey is. If I say the name Bulletproof Coffee, I don't know if that rings a bell. Yeah, Bulletproof Coffee. So you put the butter in the coffee and the MCT oil. I was consuming Bulletproof Coffee every morning for about two years, I would say. Actually, a funny story about this is later during college, I was living in this big house with like 10 other students and I didn't want them to know about all of my ridiculous nutritional habits. So I was still drinking my bulletproof coffee in the morning. And so I would put my coffee in a thermos and I would put the butter in like a piece of napkin or something. And then I would say like, oh, I just got to run to my room for a second. And then I would go there. I would quickly mix the butter into the coffee and then I would just return to the breakfast table. So yeah, uh, I have lots of interesting and ridiculous stories just on Bulletproof Coffee alone. Then I was also following people like Gary Taubes. Again, I don't know how many of you know who he is, but he's one of the most famous figures amongst those who deny the importance of calorie balance and that really fat loss and fat gain is really mostly just about an energy balance issue and then how many carbs you're eating and, and things like that just really don't matter that much. So he is a massive, massive denier of that and really that's how he rose to fame in the nutrition space and health space. 
So I was following him. I was following John Kiefer. John Kiefer is the author of the book Carb Backloading and Carb Night. I would say that, interestingly, if I had to name one person that I was following during this period that I still have a little bit of a grudge against and I almost get mad when I think of him, it would be John Kiefer. For one, I would say that he's one of the most dangerous figures amongst all of those that I mentioned, which is kind of weird at first to say that because his reach is not nearly as significant as that of Gary Taubes or Dave Asprey. Like these people have made it way bigger than he did in the whole health and fitness space, but he is a real proper fake scientist. Like he uses scientific language, very eloquent ways of phrasing himself, and he's amazing at deceiving the layperson. His way of speaking, the way he phrases himself, even the tone of his voice, like the layperson, someone who doesn't have some decent knowledge about nutrition, for example, like they would have a pretty hard time telling the validity of his claims apart from that of someone like an Eric Helms. Like both of them sound like scientifically minded, really smart people. But of course, once you actually gather some decent amount of knowledge, you realize that for the most part, he's just talking absolute nonsense and that the references that he's citing for the most part are not even supporting his claims. But of course, at first you would have no way of being able to determine that. I'm also kind of mad at him in retrospect, which it kind of sounds funny talking about this, but you know, he was the kind of guy, like in my opinion, if you're a charlatan, then at least be a good charlatan, right? So at least tell me your bullshit, sell me something, give me the opportunity to buy something, let me get my, well, to not get my results and get frustrated and then draw my conclusion and, and then let me move on. That's what someone like a Dave Asprey would do, for example. Like he will sell you everything, he will tell you everything, it will be easy to access him, access his products and his work. Then you're going to draw your conclusions probably pretty quickly and then you will just move on with your life. What John Kiefer would do is he would appear, he would make some incredible bombastic claims, something that could reshape your entire thinking about fitness and health. And then he would just disappear and he would never elaborate on it. It would be kind of like me saying, Hey guys, so actually I developed this uh, new method of getting shredded, getting to 7% body fat without ever being hungry. And by the way, while you're getting to 7% body fat, your relationship with food and any potential eating disorder you had before is going to completely reverse. Oh fuck, I need to go. All right guys, see you next time. And then I would not return for like five months. Like if you were someone who valued my opinion and were interested in what I had to say, like you would be quite frustrated. Like, dude, like don't tease me. What the hell are you talking about? What's that amazing method? That's what John Kiefer would do. So yeah, kind of like, uh, yeah, I'm mad at the guy, honestly. Really in short, I felt that I found my place in this low carb keto paleo sphere. The whole thing seemed logical and like something that made sense. And I really thought that I found the truth, the key to health, leanness, good body composition, great energy levels, and of course, preventing all kinds of diseases like diabetes and uh, neurological diseases and whatnot. This naturally also meant that I was eating some sort of a low carb or even ketogenic diet myself. And this lasted for the first three years or so of my involvement in the world of fitness. I would say that for the most part, it worked fine. Uh, I really had only a couple of major issues during this period. One was some really, really persistent and just seemingly unsolvable gut issues that I developed, which uh, looking back, it's pretty obvious what caused it. It was that 
I was eating huge amounts of broccoli and cauliflower, which really you kind of have to do if you want to do a keto diet, but you still want to have some fiber in your diet. My gut just did not tolerate these things whatsoever. So I really got into some gut issues and it should have been really easy to get out of it, which is eating less of these veggies and eating more tomatoes, cucumbers, things that by now I know I can tolerate well. But of course that was not an option because I wanted to keep my carbs under like 30 grams a day or something like that. Another major thing here that I have to mention is that throughout all of this, I was always interested in good body composition, getting leaner, getting a six pack, like these were things that I never gave up on. As such, I was basically always trying to lose fat in some way. So there was always kind of in the back of my mind, even though the actual periods in which I would have been in a calorie deficit were actually very far and few between because I was following these camps according to who calories don't really matter. And so you can really eat as many calories as you want as long as you're keeping your carbs low enough. So I was eating according to their advice. If you're telling me that I can really eat as much as I want and I will still get shredded, that's what I will do. And I mean, it was kind of obvious that this was not happening. Like I was not getting any leaner. In fact, here and there, it actually seemed like I was getting fatter. In an ideal scenario, something would have clicked that, okay, you're following all the rules of low carb, but you're still not getting leaner. Maybe there's an issue with the logic here. But instead, I started blaming everything else except for calories not being in place. So I started blaming my thyroid hormones. I started thinking that maybe I'm too inflamed. Of course, being inflamed and inflammation, like that's one of the key terms that uh, low carb and paleo people are throwing around all the time. So I was looking everywhere else except for calories being too much and me consuming too many of them. Another thing that I was hooked on besides low carb was intermittent fasting. And I would say that I did some sort of intermittent fasting for the first three, maybe even four years of my involvement in fitness. And during my most hardcore periods, I would fast 20 hours every single day. So I would fast until 4 p.m. And from 4 p.m. up until 8 p.m., I would eat a shit ton. Of course, unlimited calories because calories don't matter as long as you're eating low carb. And I would eat tons and tons of butter, tons of nuts, which um, I mean, looking back, probably that would have been not quite low carb enough, but I was eating a crap ton. Actually, considering the incredible feasts that I did in that four hour window, I actually did pretty well in not getting that fat. I think uh, part of that was just me actually passing a lot of that food through just because my digestive system could not handle all that fat coming in so, so quickly. So yeah, that was kind of a ridiculous period looking back. Later, these hardcore fasts that I was doing all the time had their consequences, not so much physically, but more so mentally, but I will get to that a little bit later. And, you know, thinking back to all of this, it's funny that I actually never did really well with fasting. I mentioned this before, but I just don't tolerate long fasts very well. I can do it, like I can push through ridiculously long fasts if I need to, but I was never one of those people who could just uh, not get hungry whatsoever during a 16 hour fast, who would not even think about food, who felt bad from a breakfast. Like I actually always did well with a breakfast, but you know, once you're hearing these messages enough times, like, oh, that laser focus that I'm getting by fasting and oh my God, like it's amazing. I do not think about food whatsoever, zero hunger. Like you're hearing these things so many times that eventually you're convincing yourself that this is happening to you as well. 
And that's exactly what happened in my case too. And I would say that the same thing happened with low carb. Like I heard it from so many people that, yeah, I mean, carbs make me crash. Like I, I get brain fog and whatever, but when I'm eating low carb, then oof, laser focus, like I'm super productive. Hunger is non-existent. That, yeah, I was convincing myself that I'm feeling the same way. Looking back, I just don't do very well with low carb. And nobody can say that I didn't really give it an honest go. I was following some sort of a low carb diet for at least four years, but possibly actually longer. There's just so many little ridiculous details and stories that I could share with you. If I went through all of those, like this video would be four hours long and I would just be talking about my involvement with low carb. But one thing is, for example, when I was not losing weight, and then I was looking for reasons why that was not happening. And of course, it couldn't be calories because, you know, Gary Taubes told me that that's ridiculous. I was thinking that maybe I'm still eating too many carbs. And I was switching the butter that I was buying because the nutrition label said that that had one gram of carbs per 100 grams. So I switched that to some kind of a margarine because that actually had zero grams per 100 grams. So I was willing to do things like that, but of course like calories could not be the reason why I'm not losing weight. I also remember one time listening to a video with Lane Norton and um, he was talking about like how calories really do matter. And he said that like you could actually overeat on broccoli and chicken breast. Like I have seen people doing it. That's what he said. And my immediate thought was, well, of course on broccoli and chicken breast, they could get fat because where is the fat? Like you're gonna get an insulin spike if you're just eating that lean protein and broccoli. So, I mean, that's where my brain was at the time. It's um, honestly, it's really funny to think back now. I mentioned this on a podcast episode before, but while I was doing all of these things, I was also an incredibly arrogant little prick. And I have memories like me going up to a girl in some party and I was already fairly tipsy. And I knew that the girl was studying dietetics or something. And I was basically giving her a lecture about why everything she knows is wrong and all those things that they're teaching them is wrong because, you know, low carb, like that's the key to leanness and health and uh, disease prevention and everything. One of the worst things I did, I told this story before, but um, I had a flatmate who just moved in at the time. She was studying to become a dietitian and she was fairly overweight. And when I heard that, I just became so annoyed that immediately I just told her, so, you know, you're study, studying to become a dietitian. Would you say you are where you want to be with your fitness and health and everything? And of course, I was implying that like, you're studying to become a dietitian. I mean, look at yourself. And of course, this story is absurd in every possible way. And I wish I could just punch my past self in the face that, um, yeah, I just thought that behaving like this with people is okay. The only thing I would say though, and this is not an excuse by any means, like that young little idiot that I was should be punched in the face still. But besides me just being an idiot at the time, the other thing that led me to behave like this is that these low carb circles that I was following, they always had a little bit of it's us against them thing in their messaging. So it was always something like, you know, I mean, this is the truth, but uh, you know, doctors and dietitians, they don't let us, you know, to talk about these things. And they are basically oppressing the good information. They don't want these things to reach people because then they couldn't benefit from all the sick people that go to them for help. Like there was a lot of conspiracy theory like stuff in their messaging. So I guess by the time this horrible story that I told you happened, 
by then I had this, um, yeah, I guess just built up anger and frustration in me regarding the whole thing. All right, my camera died, so I had to take a bit of break between two recordings, so let's continue where we left off. So basically, I just finished with the first big chapter of my fitness journey as far as my diet history was concerned. I talked through all my zealot stuff, and with that, basically, we can go to the next big chapter, which is a chapter in which a couple of key words have to be mentioned. The first one would be the six-pack, which finally I managed to get for the first time in my life. That big dream that I had ever since I was like nine or 10 years old finally actually came to fruition. So that was a big deal. The second one would be disordered eating, which as I mentioned many times before, I never thought I will have to deal with, but I did have to deal with this to quite some extent. And I guess the third one would be finally stumbling onto the right path and coming across the right sources of information and slowly abandoning my dogmatic blind follower and zealot phase, I guess. So I guess let's start with the six pack. How did that finally come about? The thing is that as I was following low carb and all the low carb rules for many years, and I was still chasing after that goal of getting a six pack, I slowly just had to admit to myself that dude, shit is just not happening. This isn't working out. You're following all the rules. You're doing all the right things. Your insulin levels barely exist anymore because you're keeping them so low. You're even paying attention to how much protein you're eating because even that can spike your blood sugar and whatever and you're not getting any leaner. In fact, at times you're even getting fatter. Probably there is something to the fact that you just need to eat less. Like all the people who actually seem to have a six pack, they all acknowledge the reality of calories and how that matters. And all these people who say that calories don't matter, sometimes they are fatter, sometimes they are not so fat, sometimes they are in better or worse shape, but none of them have the kind of body that you're after. So you know, maybe you're the one who is broken. Maybe otherwise this really is the reality that calories don't matter as long as you're eating low carb, but for whatever reason, it just doesn't seem to work out. So maybe you really need to give this calorie counting and ensuring a deficit by actually tracking things down. Maybe you really need to give that a go. So that's what I did. I did start to count my calories, but don't think that this also meant that I abandoned low carb. No, not at all. That was a very, very long process by the end of which I was actually able to let go of that. Initially, my thought process was that, okay, calories do matter, but probably this whole calorie deficit thing will still work much better if I also eat low carb and if I also do intermittent fasting. So that will be like, an effective diet strategy on steroids, basically. So basically now I was eating low carb, still doing the long fasts and all of those things, but I was also counting my calories and I did ensure that I was in a calorie deficit. Actually, at one point here, I hired my first ever coach. This was a coach that was a part of John Kiefer. So carb backloading, DH, John Kiefer, his coaching team. That guy was my coach throughout this process and he put me on this kind of weird carb cycling protocol where I think four days of the week I was eating low carb, kind of ketogenic style and then three days of the week I was having uh, these higher carb refeed days. I think, or I don't think I know, I remember exactly, my calories were at 2400 on the four low carb days and then at 3100 on the three refeed days. And 
for a while it actually worked decently well. Um, eventually I just got plateaued because I, I think the calories were just not low enough simply. So the weekly average was at what, at like 2,700 calories. That was just too high for me at the time. And so I eventually ended up modifying it. And actually, eventually I just abandoned the refeed days altogether. Um, truth be told, this coach was not super responsive and not super helpful. So I just kind of went on my own for the last like six weeks of this. And that's actually how I ended up achieving my first ever six pack look. So I did get down to a fairly low body fat percentage. If I'm looking at these footages and pictures now, I would say I was around the 10% body fat mark. I look pretty lean and I didn't have a whole lot of fat on my body, but I just didn't have enough muscle to make that out to be a truly low body fat percentage. So I don't think I was at the single digit still. Honestly, I was quite disappointed with the end product. I was way skinnier and just stringier and just much more unimpressive than what I had anticipated. You know, I never saw myself with a six pack before, so I had no idea what I should expect. So I guess I just thought that I would look like those guys in the magazines and on the internet that I saw with a great six pack, including all the other parts of their bodies. So the great muscular definition and the great size still at that low body fat. That's what I expected. And of course it was not even close. Looking back now, I think if I had shaved my body, then I would have been much more satisfied with what I saw because I could still not see my abs without flexing, not even close. And I think I could have if I just shaved my stomach and my chest. But uh, regardless, even though I was not 100% satisfied with the end product, this was still a really big deal. I finally achieved this sacred goal that I was after for so long. I thought that from now on my entire life would change. So, you know, girls, confidence, career success, so all of those things would just come my way. And of course that wasn't the case. The thing is, and I think everybody will experience this who never had a six pack before and think that everything will change when they get a six pack, nothing really changes if you have a six pack. If you have a six pack, the only thing that will definitely happen is that now you will have a six pack, but otherwise things will kind of just go on as they were before. The process of getting there, including the timeline, as well as just the difficulty, how hungry I was and how often, all of those things were way, way harder than what I had anticipated. I once again, didn't know what to expect. And, you know, truth be told, I think I made it a lot more difficult for myself than what it needed to be because this low carb strategy that I was still following throughout, it just didn't treat my appetite management well at all. I was hungry as hell. Part of the issue was, I think that the diet was just not high in volume. That's kind of one of the potential downsides of low carb that because all the foods that you're eating are much more energy dense because of the high fat content. You just have much less room to make your diet voluminous. And that kind of brings me to the next issue there that there is actually a way of course to make it more voluminous by eating a lot more of these non-starchy veggies like broccoli, cauliflower, lettuce, you know, asparagus, things like this. But the problem is that those veggies just happen to treat my stomach really, really badly. So I just cannot eat large volumes of this. The veggies that I tolerate really well are things like cucumbers and tomatoes, even though those are technically fruits, I guess. And those for a truly low carb diet with like 30 grams of carbs or less, those are actually too carb dense. So I just couldn't fit them in. So the diet was super, super tough. And I have specific memories of being in this hardware store, for example, I think I was buying a rat or mouse trap because um, yeah, there were some issues at the house where I was living in at the time. And while I was standing there, I honestly thought I was going to pass out at a couple of times because um, 
I was just so ridiculously hungry and my energy levels were just so low. So it was a really, really tough ride. And as you can imagine, I had a lot of issues transitioning out of the diet. This was my first ever time doing something like that. And you know, by now, it's not at all a surprise for me that that was challenging because even today, transitioning out of a diet, especially when you're reaching like a benchmark, new leanness, personal record, it's still pretty tough. And I know that it's tough for a lot of people. So there is no surprise that the first ever diet that I ever did where I got really lean, I had difficulties with that. But regardless, it was a cool experience. And with that in tandem basically came my disordered eating and that whole beautiful period that all started there. By that time, honestly, it was in the making for a long time. All those earlier periods of super long fasting periods and simply just, I guess, cognitively always being preoccupied with trying to get leaner, always trying to in some way, shape or form restrict myself, you know, never, never having a period basically for many, many years where I was just nourishing myself. I was eating as much as I needed to do. I was always doing something which was heavily restricted, whether it was the number of different types of foods that I allowed myself to eat or whether it was the time window of the day in which I was allowed to eat. Now, of course, this top diet in which I was cutting calories pretty hard by the end, there was always something which triggered this. And by the time I finished with this diet, I was just more food focused than ever. And at a certain point, I just had to admit it to myself that, dude, you're having an eating disorder. Or even if you would not be formally diagnosed as someone with an eating disorder, what you're doing is very disordered. So it's not healthy. The rituals you have around food, the pedestal on which food is in your life, like basically food is more important than anything else at this point, if you're being honest you lost the plots. Like this thing is just no longer under your control. This was of course all a very gradual recognition. Initially, I just had my first couple of times of breaking down and binging. At first, I just chalked this up to, okay, you dieted strictly and you broke down. This happens to everyone. And then more and more times this started happening even when I was not dieting or even when I really specifically promised myself in the beginning of the day that today this is not going to happen. You're not going to binge, but it still happened. And, you know, I would say that I hit my absolute lows at around 2016, 17. That's where I felt like I'm just never going to get out of this. Basically, I started to really lose hope. I even considered actually seeing a professional and a specialist because even though I know how difficult it is to actually find someone in this field who can help you with this, but I was running out of options at that point. And at that time, a culmination of things, very serendipitous events kind of just saved me from this. And at this point, I would say that I'm free from disordered eating for the most part, but I would still not say that I beat disordered eating, that this is something that is not impacting me whatsoever today. I would say that I'm in this permanent state of remission. So I keep it under control. I know how to manage it and I know how to live my life organize my routines, behaviors, rituals in a way so that I don't have to deal with this. But I know exactly what things I would have to abandon from my good habits and what bad habits I should pick up once again if I wanted to reignite this whole thing once again. I'm kind of viewing myself like an alcoholic who has been clean for 10 years, but they would still call themselves alcoholics or heroin addicts or whatever, because that's just not an addiction that you just get out of your system and then it's gone forever. No, like once you've been in it deeply enough, 
it's basically with you for the rest of your life to some extent, but you can keep it under control and you can live your life in peace, basically unaffected by it for the most part. So that's kind of how I am with this whole thing. Um, and what I should note also about this is even during the periods when I was suffering from this the most, even then I just found the whole topic and the whole phenomenon to be just fascinatingly interesting because I found it to be just incredible that a guy who came into this whole thing with no prior history of disordered eating, a healthy kid with a healthy mindset, wanted to get a six pack, wanted to get leaner, wanted to be more muscular, basically did all of these things to improve his quality of life. And coming into this whole thing with too much of a naive mindset, too unaware of the negative implications of a lot of these things like the crazy long fasting and dieting all the time, gradually all his good intentions led him to this point that now he has basically an eating disorder. I just found that to be super, super interesting. And then gradually I started finding out about more and more case studies like mine. And I had to learn that this is unfortunately not at all an uncommon thing in the fitness world. So yeah, disordered eating, a huge chapter in my life, lasted many, many years. And that's kind of where it all started to really take off. Another thing that I should mention here, even though this video is about diet and not training, but I suffered an injury during this period. So actually I had my second ever coach of my life and that was actually Menno Henselmans. Um, by the way, like one thing I should say about Menno Henselmans is that I'm really, really lucky that he was basically the first person who was like really part of this evidence-based fitness niche that I came across. Because I think if that had been someone like a, a Lyle McDonald or an Eric Helms, I just wouldn't have been ready for that yet. But I came across Menno on this guy's YouTube channel. I think it's called Primal Edge Health or something like that. It's like low carb, keto, paleo diet, like all those kinds of things. And Menno appeared there basically talking about the validity of low carb and even ketogenic diets for bodybuilders and how you really don't need that many carbs to build muscle. And that was like a very nice gateway for me to the fitness, to the evidence-based fitness circles, because there was a guy who clearly knew what he was talking about, but he was very positive about low carb and about keto, unlike much of the other side of the evidence-based fitness industry. So through him, you know, I started following him and eventually I found out that, oh, like he's friends with Eric Helms and Lane Norton and all of these guys. Okay, so maybe I should check some of their stuff out as well. And that slowly created this transition for me where I started really following really good people in the fitness industry. So I will always have to be kind of grateful for Menno for that. Anyway, so he was my second coach, um, which was an incredible experience, by the way, and I could talk about that a lot, but I will talk much more about that when I will talk about my training history. But he put me on this uh, bulking diet, uh, pretty high volume training, and everything went really, really well. I even have some pictures. I really nicely started to fill out. I started eating a mixed diet with more carbs and my workouts were going great. It was exactly the types of workouts that I always would have wanted, you know, high volumes for the upper body, being able to hit my chest and shoulders and arms like frequently. So it was like a dream and also a lot of food, which was just amazing after that tough diet. And all went well until I got injured one day. It was just one of those unfortunate accidents that happened in the gym. It was an overhead press. I was holding it with too narrow of a grip and I guess my rotator cuffs just aren't flexible for that. And so I suffered a minor tear in my supraspinatus 
and also a mild um, subluxation in my shoulder. That's a long story, honestly, as well. But the point is I could not train, or at least I thought I could not train productively for almost a year, which just had an incredibly negative impact, not just on my physique, but also on my general well-being. Training, going to the gym regularly, that was just a super, super big part of my life, my daily structure. It was keeping my psychological health at bay many times. And for me to not be able to do that in the way that I wanted to was just a massive, massive blow. The fact that I was not training my upper body for a very long time basically meant that I started losing muscle pretty rapidly and I shrunk a shit ton during this period. But I still wanted to feel like I'm part of the fitness world in some sense and I'm still doing fitness stuff with my life. So I controlled the only thing that I could control in this period, which was my diet. So I started running all kinds of weird diet experiments. This was the time when I finally let go of low carb and I started eating a much more mixed diet. I started eating fruits, berries and things like that. It's really funny actually, like when I started eating that way, I was almost angry because I just felt so obviously much, much better than when I was eating low carb that I got angry that you fuckers, this is what you've done with me for the past couple of years. Like I was suffering and was miserable for no reason. And you told me that I would crash after eating carbs and that if I'm eating carbs in the morning that I'm going to get fat and God damn it, I'm doing it and I feel better than ever. Mind you, this is my own experience. I really just don't do very well with low carb, but a lot of you might. So this is not a universal thing. I don't think everybody, everybody is going to feel so much better if they're eating more carbs versus less. That was my experience. But again, this is far from a general rule of thumb or anything like that. But a mixed diet worked really well for me. And at a certain point, actually, I really got into precise macro tracking and calorie tracking. And I went through my little bit of phase of if it fits your macros in the most hardcore way imaginable. I was basically one of those memes who create the most ridiculous diet plans and they are basically eating nothing else but you know Pop-Tarts and some protein shakes. I didn't literally do that, but basically I organized my diet in such a way so that I could fit in some really big kind of junky treat at the end of the day into my diet. And I was even sending pictures of that to friends and I would show my six pack and then show them that, look, I'm eating ice cream and I'm eating this giant chocolate bar or something like that. And of course, what they didn't see is that for the rest of the day, I basically barely ate anything. So I was going a little bit, if it fits your macros, crazy. And um, you know, that worked. It helped me staying lean. But uh, of course, it didn't treat my disordered eating patterns well at all. In fact, it made it a lot, lot worse. So I think that eventually led me to have to quit macro tracking, basically. And I think that at this point, long-term calorie tracking and macro tracking is just off the table for me. If I do that for too long, basically my disordered eating patterns are going to return. And that's basically just the fact that by now I'm aware of. But anyway, so that's what I did. Went a bit crazy with if it fits your macros. And I also stayed pretty damn lean throughout this whole period. And I will try to put up some pictures here because it started to look pretty comical because I was losing muscle like crazy. I was shrinking in my upper body muscle wise, but I was lean. So I just uh, was this weird looking guy with a good six pack and really lean, but uh, not much muscle anywhere else. So yeah, it was uh, not a great period from, from any aspect, but I guess um, it was still a useful way of just really ingraining calorie awareness, uh, really knowing intuitively which foods contain how much energy, which are the things that are really conducive to a diet, which ones are not so much. 
So, you know, there are some positives here as well, but uh, yeah, it was kind of messed up in many other ways. And I guess the last thing I should mention here is that I finally started stumbling onto the right path as far as the information that I was consuming. I remember some of the pivotal moments for me were listening to an interview with Eric Helms that he did on Sigma Nutrition Radio with Danny Lennon. That was just a phenomenal interview. And I think uh, by now I must have listened to that interview like 10 times at least. And honestly, I was shocked when I heard that interview because Eric was one of those people that I was vaguely aware of from before, but I was kind of reluctant to check out his stuff because he seemed like one of those typical evidence-based fitness guys that, you know, people like John Kiefer were always speaking against that, you know, like these people don't understand the real science and they are against low carb and they just talk about calories in, calories out. And honestly, that's what I expected when I tuned into Eric's interview. That's what I was expecting to hear. That's, oh yeah, no, it's all bullshit. Calories in, calories out, nothing else matters. And then the way he was talking, it just displayed such humility, you know, such balanced opinions and, and again, just wisdom. It was honestly shocking for me. And that was, that was pretty much a life-changing moment if I think about it, because that was one of the really pivotal moments that helped me to actually be willing to hear these guys out more, check out more works from these guys. So that was a big deal. I also remember listening to an interview with Lyle McDonald that Kino Buddy was doing. Um, again, Lyle McDonald was a person from whom I've heard a lot from before. John Kiefer, once again, was always talking shit about Lyle. He was saying that Lyle is the epitome of regurgitation. I remember him saying that in one podcast, I think it was with Lift Rombang, which is Paul Carter's podcast. Yeah, he was saying that uh, Lyle is acting like someone who just went to a seminar and without understanding anything, he's just regurgitating everything. So I was pretty cynical and skeptical when I, I tuned into that podcast. And again, I was just amazed by how smart and wise this person was. It was a really, really good interview. And again, a very pivotal moment for me. So luckily I started seeking out and finding more and more of these good guys. And of course, initially I didn't really have the know-how to really distinguish good information from bad, so I couldn't really tell if they, these guys were really more knowledgeable or more right, I guess, than the people that I was following before, but I could immediately tell the difference in tone because these guys, for the most part, were humble, were willing to admit that they could be wrong, so they were completely open to the possibility that some of the things that they're saying is just their own opinion, which could be flawed. The other guys, you know, John Kiefer, Dave Asprey, you know, all of these people, they were just like very radical, very black and white. Like, this is how it is. If you eat carbs, then this happens, you get fat. If you eat carbs in the morning, you get fat and your body makes new empty fat cells. Like everything is like super concrete, specific, black and white, radical. So just the difference in humility and arrogance or the lack thereof immediately kind of showed me that, yeah, I mean, it's pretty easy to tell like which one is more likely to be credible. And I guess that uh, finally leads us to the last chapter, which I mean, it is honestly a huge chapter still because many things happened here. At first, things had to get worse before they got better. So at first I got even deeper into the whole disordered eating realm. In the meanwhile, I was getting more and more well-educated and I was almost exclusively consuming good information at that point. I really started to prioritize my own self-education. That's also the time in which I decided that in some way, shape or form, I want to be a part of this fitness industry and I want to work in it to some capacity at least. I was very intrigued by the fact that this is 
not only an industry in which the only way you can make money is by being a trainer in a gym. And of course, there is nothing wrong with that either. But I was always more intrigued by, you know, sharing information, educating those things. I was also just very, I guess, uh, impressed by the fact that these people were not at all the stereotypical person that most people think of when they think of someone who works in the fitness industry. Because I think there's still that stereotype that yeah, if you're working in the fitness industry or basically just a meathead, like you're not very intelligent. Of course, they can show you how to bench press, but you know, like you wouldn't take them to the opera, for example. But you know, these people like Eric Helms, Menno Hanselmans, like the, the, these were all individuals with, you know, just a bright look on their face and a very intelligent way of speaking. So I was also impressed by that, and I thought, man, I, I want to be a part of that, and I also want to basically show people the way, and like this is also how fitness can be. So. That's where that decision was born out as well. But as I said, things had to get worse at first. So I got even deeper into disordered eating. I was uh, reaching my all time lows in that regard. But at the same time, I also got more competent at, you know, managing my diet. So there were a lot of ugly things that happened here as well. The disordered eating, binging and purging. But on the other hand, you know, when it came to the purging part in these binge purge cycles, I got better at that, which sounds super messed up, but you know, I learned about mini cutting, I learned about these aggressive diets, which you can do without losing muscle. So I got better at that. It came at a huge price and I wouldn't want any of you to have to pay that. But you know, like even in these things, there was some silver lining. Really, if I think about it, this last big chapter of mine, as far as my diet history is concerned, is basically the last six years of my life, maybe seven actually, because it started around you know 2015 or so, and now it's the beginning of 2022. I guess there are two pivotal moments that happened here, which I have to mention. One is the diet that I did for my photo shoot, which was the time when I got by far the leanest in my life so far. That was a huge experience, an incredible experience in many ways. In many other ways, it was a horrendous experience because the diet, once again, was so much harder than I thought it would be and also much harder than it really needed to be. I didn't have to feel that bad, but I was still dieting like a madman. Even when I was like at 8% body fat, I was still losing like a percent of my body weight by the end of it. And that's how I ended up at like 76 kilos, even though I think I could have been at least 78 at that very low body fat percentage. But you know, once again, you lose rationality and objectivity when it comes to your own progress at times, if you're pushing yourself to really extremes or you know, whatever's extreme for you. Some pretty funny and just uh, tragic comical things happened in this uh, dieting phase as well, such as me not having sex with my, well, girlfriend at the time, now wife, for four months because, you know, losing your libido completely is, you know, one of those things that can happen if you go down to like six, seven percent body fat. And then uh, the photo shoot at the end, which was just an unbelievable experience. I mean, uh, you know, I have seen my physique fatter, leaner, more and less muscular, but to see it on these professional photos with, you know, the shaved body and everything, for the first time ever, I felt like, man, like I kind of look like some of those guys that I wanted to look like when I was younger. This is kind of what I've been dreaming about for so many years. It was, uh, it was just an incredible moment. And even though I was miserable by the end of the diet, I was always hungry. I couldn't sleep. Energy levels were non-existent. But still, you know, that was actually one of one such case where you look in the mirror and for those 30 seconds, you know, one minute, you're actually happy. Just seeing yourself in that condition makes you happy. And then, of course, you go back to being miserable because you realize that I'm still hungry as hell. 
So, you know, it, it was a very special, very unique experience. And I'm, I'm really, really glad that I went through it because it taught me a lot. And um, yeah, I, I guess I will just never forget that moment of seeing those pictures and also just um, concluding the diet, seeing that I've done it, just seeing what I'm capable of if I really want something and how far I can push myself. And yeah, I guess that's really just one great aspect of fitness that you can really experience some of these benchmark moments, which can make you feel really accomplished for a short while. And then of course, life just goes on after that. And then the other big pivotal moment that I really have to mention is when I quit macro tracking and calorie tracking in 2017. I talked about this before. I have a whole podcast episode on this. I think it's called my rapid fat loss story. It's uh, one of my earlier podcast episodes. The audio quality is quite shit. The way I'm talking is also sounds quite funny, but basically it's a diet story combined with a love story basically, because it's the story of me meeting the girl who is now my wife. That was, you know, five years ago when we met and long story short is, the moment of meeting her and that whole period just basically served as a wake up call for me. And it showed me that dude, like cool things are happening in the world. Like there are things for which it's worth not letting yourself sink in this whole disordered eating nonsense. And it's worth not only focusing on your fitness goals and not isolating yourself from the world, but you know, go out there and try to do things and, try to explore opportunities out there and you know you see like really great things can happen so that was just a, a really kind of a, a come to jesus moment for me and in that moment i i just decided that uh, by whatever means but i will have to try things that i've never tried before i will have to do something drastically different and i don't know how but i'm going to come out of this i'm going to leave this whole disordered eating thing behind and i'm, I'm going to fix myself basically I'm not saying by any means that this is a solution for everybody and that this is a cure for disordered eating, not at all. Probably I was lucky in that regard, but I just decided that I'm going to do the complete opposite of what I was doing before, which is very rigid, neurotic, macro tracking and calorie tracking, never having a bite without, you know, counting exactly how many calories less I have until the end of the day. I decided that I'm going to stop doing all of this. So I just started eating to satiety without counting anything. I even forced myself to not count my macros. I was doing these math exercises about, you know, completely unrelated things in my head while I was eating just to make sure that I'm really not trying to add up the numbers here. So I was calculating, I don't know, 64 times 15 and things like this in my head while I was eating. And I also stopped eating in a distracted manner. And I kept that up for a very, very long time for, you know, more than a year. I never had a single meal where I was eating in front of the TV or in front of my laptop. You know, I really focused on the food and my satiety signals and it just worked out just phenomenally well. Not only did it help me to not eat at all times until I'm uncomfortably stuffed and bloated. It also helped me to actually have a lot more social flexibility eating out, eating together with others. It no longer freaked me out. If someone joined me during a meal, I no longer got angry because they bothered me while I'm having this amazing ritual here with the meal and the YouTube video that I'm watching. So it was just a completely transformative life-changing event. And to this day, I'm super, super glad that I did it. Since then I track my macros multiple times, but at first I took, um, I think like a two or three year break completely from tracking macros. I think 
basically I quit macro tracking in the summer of 2017 and the next time I did it was in the late summer of 2019 for my photo shoot diet. In the meantime, I did not track whatsoever. I did that photo shoot diet uh, there. I did track for the last like two months or so of the diet. Um, once again, developed a little bit of eating disorder out of that, but honestly, I would not chalk that up to macro tracking. I would uh, say that just getting that lean is kind of um, something that can induce that for a lot of people. And uh, then I didn't track for a long time again. And then last year when I got pretty lean once again, and it was like a six month long diet for the last like two months of that, I was tracking once again. So I revisited macro tracking here and there, but I think as a long-term strategy for me, macro tracking is honestly just off the table. Like I do notice that if I start doing it, I can do it for a while, but I always notice that if I track calories or macros for too long, these old neurotic patterns and unhealthy behaviors and tendencies just, they just start to come back. I start becoming less flexible socially. I tend towards eating alone a lot more and all of these things. So honestly, I'm just not cut out for this. And um, I think honestly, macro tracking and calorie tracking is a long-term strategy. I think the fitness industry should do a much better job at basically treating it with caution. I think it's fine to suggest that as a short-term strategy for learning purposes. And for some people it's completely fine even for the long-term, but I think it, it has a lot more risks than a lot of people would acknowledge that. And that I'm not just saying based on my own experience, but I have just interacted with enough people so that I know that I'm far from being a completely unique case study with this. And honestly, at this point, my diet is very, very chill. Basically, I know what those, you know, top, you know, 20 foods are that just work the best for me as far as diet satisfaction, enjoyment, also satiation, satiety, fullness, appetite management, all of those things. Basically, I know what I should be keeping in my fridge and I'm always experimenting. So I started looking into recipes a lot more. Each month, basically, I'm running some sort of a different experiment. This year, honestly, one of my resolutions is exploring a lot more soup recipes because some people that I highly respect really swear by them for appetite control, appetite management as a preloader before big meals, basically. So I want to explore that more. And um, it's, it's a really exciting process at the moment. Basically, I'm really trying to just figure out how can I be the most lenient and just, I guess, decadent with my lifestyle while still keeping as much of my good results as I can. Basically, how much can I get away with? And just experimenting with that is a really fun process. And I think, I guess that's just a good way of uh, spending your energy and cognitive resources as far as fitness is concerned once you're at a pretty advanced level as a trainee. You know, I, I know that I basically squeezed almost everything out of my body that I can as far as muscle growth is concerned. I hit most of my benchmarks as far as, you know, aesthetics and leanness is concerned, you know, considering my own genetics, of course. And so basically now it's just a process of optimizing for enjoyment and sustainability. And of course, finding ways in which I can help others to do the same thing. Because I think the more of these tools I can give to others, such as the soup recipes, which hopefully I will discover now, or the previous kind of diet hacks that I shared, like the air fried zucchini and mushrooms and things like that, I think the more of a positive impact I can create for others. And 
I guess in a way that will make all of those horrendous experiences earlier on in my fitness journey more worthwhile. So yeah, guys, basically that was everything that I wanted to say in this video. I think I covered most of the important stuff. So let me know what you think of this. Like, did you enjoy this? Was it too long? Was it too irrelevant for you? If so, let me know and then I can just skip the next video, which would be about my training history. But if you enjoyed this kind of video, if this was informative to some extent, then let me know and then I will be more than happy to do more things like this. Otherwise, I hope you had a lovely Christmas period and New Year's period or New Year's Eve. I hope you didn't party too hard, you didn't destroy your liver, and I hope that you will crush all your goals in the new year as well. Otherwise, um, subscribe for more content like this, like the video if you liked it, feel free to comment and ask questions, and if you want to work together with me in whatever capacity, coaching or do a consultation with me, then check out my show description. Otherwise, um, I will see you in the next video.